How many podcasters does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> Trick question. Podcasters scatter when you turn on the lights. <laughs> ah, that's better. your B-movie education. Today's lesson, Dungeons and Dragons, the 2001, not the 2023 one. But before we roll initiative, let's do the roll call. Jamie Kennedy. Okay, let me roll a quick performance check on my opening thought. Oof, that's a natural one with a charisma modifier of a negative two, so. <laughs> Riff raff, street rat, I don't. Buy that. Get, get it? Because the guy who played Riff Raff in Rocky Horror is in this movie as the leader of a thieves guild, and Ridley is a street rat, and none of them will buy that because they're thieves. <laughs> Oy boy, Jamie. That was so... <laughs> yeah. You did Dungeons and Dragons 2000 level, like, idea stitching together for that check. <laughs> 100% what I was thinking. No workshopping oh done. My oh, God. boy. Let's see if anyone else can roll better. Uh, Greg Hansen? Did you know that it would take the average Dungeons & Dragons party 127 <laughs> years to complete the amount of story in this movie? <laughs> wow, that seems uh, low. Uh, Casey Regan? I, I don't know Dungeons & Dragons, guys. I don't know the game. Played, I played once. I did one session... As a uh, and I, I found my sheet oh, as a wow. goblin cleric named Bobble Thrumpus. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Nailed it. I you nailed it. was so excited for the character creation of Bobble Thrumpus <laughs> that I did a just a the most shoddy skim over any of the rules involved <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons, and so I feel like I really got in the mind of the screenwriters for this. <laughs> <laughs> I really got the movie on their level, I think. Uh, and I'm Josh Roth. Uh, I gotta say, the filmmakers should be chained and marched off to Icewind Dale and locked up in the icy prison of Revel's End for the crimes against Faerun. Those locations are all canonical, by the way, to the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. Something I cannot say for anything in this film itself. Welcome to our house, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't get any of that. I have no idea. This is what Jamie hears when we go Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet vengeance. <laughs> Welcome, intrepid heroes, to VHS DVD, the Video High Society of Dungeons vs. Dragons. Did you say versus? I thought it was and dragons. Normally, yes, but we don't want Wizards of the Coast coming after us. Those wizards can be very litigious. Well, either way, I'm excited to play. I've heard lots of good things about this tabletop RPG craze. I can't wait to roll some dice. Wait, I, I thought this was a game club. 
Yeah, a role-playing game club. What did you think it was? Like a Super Smash Brothers tournament or something. Not some wimpy math rock pretending thing. Today we will be playing a campaign booklet I got from the DVD for today's movie. Here are your character sheets. Oh, cool. I'm a mage. Huh, really? Why? Is, is that wrong? It must be wizard or sorcerer or warlock or druid or bard. Mage isn't a class in 5th edition. Let me let me check my Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, Josh, my character sheet just says the girl. <laughs> the girl isn't a class either. That's not what I'm concerned about. And mine says racist stereotype. <laughs> Actually, that's pretty much on par with 5th edition. <laughs> I thought this game was all about magic and stuff. Uh, looks like my mage's only abilities are... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, damn. You got Greg. You busted him up, Josh. Hell yeah. All right. On the page. On the page alone, Josh is shaking his fist in the air in triumph. Uh, Looks like my mage's only abilities are scroll organizing and class privilege. At least you've got something. My girl elf ranger only has, and I quote, boob armor. I don't even know how this thing is attached. I feel like legally the only thing I can read off of here is that my character, Marlon Wayans, is proficient in disguise. (laughs) Let's just get started. It'll make more sense as you play. You three heroes have been tasked with finding the legendary Mac of Guffin. You are standing on the outskirts of a ruined keep. A beholder guards the entrance, a floating ball of malevolence with one eye in the center, and ten stalks, each with an eye of its own, darting about in every direction. What do you do? Oh, oh, wow, jumping right in. Um, guess we're not doing the whole meet in a tavern thing. I throw a rock to distract it. Casey, beholders are intelligent beings with eyes that can disintegrate you. A rock's not going to do it. Huh. According to the campaign booklet, it does. Uh, fine. Your, your rock sails true, and the beholder floats away. Uh, the entrance is now unguarded. We should probably sneak our way inside, right? In case there's, uh, I don't know, other monsters waiting inside. Great. Everyone give me a stealth roll. Which one of these do I roll? There's like a hundred dice here. The 20-sided one. One, two, three, four. Oh, for Pete's sake, this one. Okay, what everyone get? I got 17. I got a 10. I won. You rolled a 20? No, I I rolled a one. That's <laughs> that's good, right? Golf rules? Mm, I don't think so, champ. You step forward through the entrance into the ruined keep. A shadow falls through the ruined domed ceiling as hundreds of dragons descend on you. Wait, wait, hundreds? That that can't possibly (laughs) be right. You're all like level three. Hold on. Let me look up the challenge rating on these things. Is there usually this much sitting around while the DM (laughs) reads a book? Usually more. Damn, it says right here, hundreds of poorly rendered dragons descend on the party like a dogfight in a Nintendo 64 game. N64, now we're talking. Let's keep going, I guess. Uh, Where was I? Right, you're standing in the Great Hall of the Ruined Keep. There's an altar in the center. On the altar is a cobweb-covered skeleton holding the Mac of Guffin. Excellent. What does this great and powerful Mac of Guffin look like? (sighs) It... It looks like a cheap knockoff of Reader Pulse's staff. All right, let's check for traps before we do anything. 
I bet that skeleton. Does I grab that. the thing and use it to control all the dragons. Hold up, Leroy Jenkins. Dragons are cunning and wise spellcasters. They have wisdom beyond anything us mere mortals can comprehend. One dinky rod isn't going to. Oh, it says right here that it does. Oh, for the love of Mistara. A gem embedded in the scepter glows bright. <laughs> the dragons, which should be incredibly smart and powerful creatures, are now little more than flying, fire-breathing horses and obey your every command. Wait, that that's it? That can't be the end of the game. All right, great. So we're done here. We won. Let's play some Super Smash. My dwarf celebrates with an ale. Were you, Were you here, here the, the whole time? time? I don't think I like this game anymore. <laughs> that sums up this movie real well. Concerningly well. Um, so fun fact, we watched this movie twice. Yeah. That is two more times than anybody ought. <laughs> we watched it on the plane uh, coming back from Maine recently after we had seen the, the new Dungeons and Dragons. Like, we enjoyed that one so much that we thought, why don't we hate ourselves for two hours well, instead? I thought, I thought it would be good, bad. It was not. <laughs> it was bad, bad. <laughs> uh, and then I felt like I needed to talk about it at length. So I forced you all to watch it. Look, I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> That you didn't make me do a Marlon Wayne's voice in the book before. <laughs> in a faraway world. All people deserve to be free and equal. The child is not fit to govern an empire. The forces of darkness. You can control dragons. With the dragon army at my command, I can crush the Empress. This has got to be some twisted magic experiment gone seriously wrong. Have threatened to conquer a kingdom. What can I do to stop Profion? If you can obtain the Rod of Savril, you could control red dragons. I suggest we lay low, let the whole thing blow over, come back, rob everybody. There's one small problem. Problem? I kind of committed us to find it. Let the blood rain from Asgard! and dragons. You want to play, do you? I did read in an interview with the director while I was doing research for the book report. The writer, director, producer. The the interviewer was no, like, he, so no, 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 no. He didn't do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> he, he truly didn't do any of those things. Yeah, he said Fake it on news. his resume. It's on his resume, uh, yeah, but it's, it's not yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah, he also worked for Twitter. <laughs> But he said, the interviewer asked, so is there going to be like a Jar Jar Binks the bugbear? <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, no, no. There's not going to be a Jar Jar Binks in the movie. And yet there was. <laughs> and, and yet, yet there, there, was there was There was snails. Snails. Yeah, this movie was, I would describe as horrid dog shit. <laughs> It's disastrous, and I did hate it, but no, it, no. but it, it but yeah, it is okay, 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 good, good, good. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a train wreck. <laughs> We're on the same page, though. You know, kids today, like they complain when franchises or adaptations of their favorite nerd things aren't perfectly up to scale, but like they have no idea how bad <laughs> things were. This killed any chance for a proper D and D movie. For it's the Mario Brothers movie years? all over again. Like yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
uh, because the Mario Brothers movie is unbelievably good. Oh, <laughs> we're we're looping back to this. Guys, we're coming. We're guys, putting should, a pin in this. Should we just do Mario next? I mean, we, we we sure can, but I haven't seen the new one. Original Mario. Uh, is amazing. Oh, we're doing this. The we're difference between this, this and the Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Mario Brothers movie is that is a piece of visionary artistry. <laughs> yes. Yes. The Goombas beg to differ. <laughs> no, I mean, no. Your feelings about its use of the Mario mythos aside, I think you would be hard pressed to argue that that movie isn't like an act of autorship. <laughs> they yes. took swings. Okay, I they will took give swings. you that. Yes. No, not only took swings. Uh, connected. Context, connected with the... the ball and sent it out <laughs> of the park. Yes, agreed. Mario Mario and Luigi Mario is the best joke yes. ever made in, in a movie. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Greg. That is true. I read that interview too, Josh, uh, and I liked how much the interviewer, uh, this is like an old IGN thing, pushed on the Star Wars aspect mm, yeah. because this is a Phantom Menace ripoff. Yeah. Yep. Like a really obvious Phantom Menace ripoff, which is so funny. It's, <laughs> it's, so it's funny. also Fellowship. Oh, like it's, that's, it's, but it's pre-Fellowship, right? It's right around the time it's coming out. Uh, oh, I mean, so it's, they book, knew, also, it's book stealing. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, it's books first. Yeah. It yeah, doesn't okay, matter yeah, when the movie true. comes no, but, out. Because this is a new line movie. This is a new line movie yeah. like a year before Lord of the Rings comes out, Fellowship of the Ring comes out. Like, I sure am glad that New Line put their eggs in multiple baskets. <laughs> For their sake. No, I think what this movie shows is they put their eggs in one basket. <laughs> and they gave an egg to these guys. <laughs> and said, if you can take care of this egg over the weekend, then you've learned a very important lesson on parenthood. <laughs> And we'll give you Jeremy Irons. Well, yeah, like I know that they have Jeremy Irons and they have Thora Birch. God help her. Uh, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they do not have Thora Birch. Her mind was elsewhere. Why are the main characters not people? Like they were not celebrities. The, like the, I believe the quote. Why was Christian Bale not this. in this movie? I'm gonna misquote this, but the the line because he was he was saving himself for Ray of Fire. <laughs> The yeah. director did say something to the effect of, I want someone that looks like they could be a movie star, but isn't one. That's the worst directorial decision I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. Especially when that director is also the producer. Yeah, and yeah. writer. That's terrible, because I tell you what, there's a lot of people who look like movie stars <laughs> who should not be movie stars. For good reasons, usually. Yes. Yeah. And I actually, I can't even blame them they were fine. Yeah, yeah. They were serviceable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the way that, like, we've talked about this, but, like, people like the Dark Crystal, even though the main character, the, the fucking Andalites or whatever, are, like, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mean the Gelflings? How dare you? Yes. This is our spiciest episode. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. We've learned that in fantasy movies, you can look at blank faces for a while. For yeah. a while, like yeah, you put but, you put a couple of gugas in there, you put up a couple of ghoulies in there, and you can get a lot of mileage on dull cow eyes. Like my twisted version of understanding this movie is okay. The game is a choose your own adventure fantasy RPG game for nerds 
to like get their improv skill geekies out. Yeah, yeah. Right. As a D&D player, I say this. Yeah. My character hell to pay <laughs> is a dwarf <laughs> cleric that talks like a pirate. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. That's that's, that's the, the game. game. That's the this game. This movie's brilliance is that it seemed to go what if we actually had those nerds write a script based on the way an actual game would actually go and how bad the improv would really be (laughs) exactly and that's where this movie's brilliance is except that sucks if you're not playing. Yes. Yeah. It's like it's like explaining a dream to someone. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's really like you're like, this is the most amazing thing, and it's just sounding like gibberish. It's like, okay, so not all stories should be adapted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think the biggest crime this movie has is not using the Forgotten Realms, which is the campaign setting that is yeah, probably most sure. popular in D D. Uh and I'll get to it in the ripoff report card, but the director made, or the writer-director made the decision explicitly to do that. And that was a shot in the heart, not even the foot, in the heart and the head and everything else. Yeah, because no, num- number one rule of IP is fan service. Yes. Here, I, but I, I would I would argue, though, that that's not the number one sin. That's like the number six sin. <laughs> because if everyone was on the same page, if the tone was on point, if the script was on point, and it just eschewed all of the nonsense, it wouldn't matter. Like, people would... I mean, some people would be pissed because people are always pissed. But, like... That could have been an anchor. They didn't use it. There's a lot of anchors that they could have had. And they were just like, no, none of them. We're going. It, it's so perfectly said, Greg. It, it, it does feel like a D&D can, like, session or campaign or whatever you, you call it. Because that is sort of how I imagine they made this movie. More than imagine, I get that IGN interview. This guy, like, interviewed the lead. And the director, producer, writer, and Lee Ehrenberg at the, at a Dragon <laughs> Con in 2000, and they like showed a bit of the movie. And in the same like talkback, where the uh, Lee Ehrenberg's like talking shit about some movie as being like, I was in this other fantasy movie. It sucked because they put a decent budget behind it, but no script. Right? You need a script, man. And then like, <laughs> in the same time, the director's like. Yeah, we really wanted to work hard on this. That's why we, you know, we had about 16 scripts and we shot according to people's schedules. I was like, is that what working hard means? It's like, and it's so obvious, right? Like, it's so obvious that, like, not only are they shooting around Marlon Wayans and I imagine Lee Ehrenberg just not being available for large portions of this movie. But like, it does read as just like, they shot whatever bit they thought of, right? They just were like, they had sets, they were in cheap ass Prague, and they just like, (laughs) when they thought of a joke or something, a bit, they just did it. And that did sort of charm me after a while, while not making at all a cohesive movie. (laughs) (laughs) Who did act one? Casey. Casey. Ugh, guys, I'll I'll be totally honest with you. I I only sort of did it. It won't matter. No, 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 please. Matter. I feel like short probably yeah. good yeah, in this case. Yeah, short is probably better. Well, I say I only sort of did it. I asked this guy who knows more about D and D to help me with it. He's a goblin cleric <laughs> named Bobel Thrumpus. 
Hey, uh, Bulbul, do you mind coming in and helping? Yes, human man. Bulbul will help. I, Bulbul Rumpus, possess the sense of dark vision. The Empire of Ishmael has long been a divided land. The lowly commoners, those without magic, are little more than slaves. <laughs> the opening narration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's going to do the whole movie in real time. <laughs> yeah, can we, Bobo, can we speed it up? Is there any way? Oh, he can't hear me. He's over the announcement. He's in the main office. <laughs> These are the beginning words we hear through the Hobbiton weed hash pipe smoke needed to get through this mess of a movie. Zoom into a, what a, should have been a production company intro, but is actually the world of Ismir, a kingdom within this fantasy realm. Before motherfucking Jeremy Irons steps out, like a Catholic grandma on Easter, Jeremy is giving us the hell. Because with a scepter in hand, he screams, release him! And this movie insisted on showing us just how bad the CGI will be very early reveals a giant dragon that Jeremy can control with his green jeweled scepter. For a second, Jeremy screams that the dragon will be used to bring down Savina, the Empress of Izmir, who wishes to bring equality and prosperity to all the classes, both mage and rest. <laughs> so he will bring the fury of dragons down upon the human queen's head, but the dragon isn't about that, I guess. Because <laughs> he ooh, thinks past the scepter and it breaks and he attacks Jeremy Irons, who kills the dragon with a portcullis. <laughs> the blood of the dragon drips into the water of Izmir and sets it aflame. Another movie suddenly begins. Smash cut to a somehow worse movie. We've got a boy meets Middle Earth looking main character and his comedy relief best friend Marlon Wayans playing the guy who isn't quite getting the fantasy medieval theme of the improv necessary to run a believable Dungeons and Dragons campaign. I can't believe this river of fire they're seeing and neither will you and they remark that mages the upper class of this world will do just anything they don't care about people's safety in fact it would be in their best interest to rob the magic school they call it the magic school <laughs> meanwhile jeremy irons or profian the evil mage is fomenting treason amongst the council of Izmir. He wants to dethrone the Empress Savina. Profian wants the scepter, her scepter. There's also another scepter. Not the scepter he had at the beginning. There's a lot of scepters. Savina, the Orc Lives Matter Empress, for her part, has Father Time to whine at. 
This is a wizard whose name I don't know, who tells her about yet another scepter that can control the red dragon. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marlon Waynes and Ridley are goofus and gallanting their way into magic school. The old wizard is then ADRing about Sabina's scepter with his library assistant, Marina. And then, right said friend with frostbitten lips and a spawn costume comes in with an army and kills the old wizard in Profian's name, who throws the red dragon scepter scroll to Marina, who for a moment is OP as fuck. She blasts Velvet Goldmine Lord Zed with an electric bomb and then creates a portal to run away, towing Marlon Waynes and Ridley with her magic lasso. They fall upon Lee Ehrenberg, who shows up doing what he does best, yelling while cross-eyed. But they're stuck together now, and Lee Ehrenberg rounds out the party when available. <laughs> Jeremy Irons zaps a The Thing into his second-in-command for losing the scroll at Marina. We cut to a tavern shark that rules because the things in it exist. <laughs> <laughs> While at the tavern, Ridley turns out to be the main character and remembers a spell for activating the scroll and he's pulled inside. Marina, a mage herself who doesn't understand the plight of the common people, does the same and they both disappear for the movie. We stick with the right part of the story. Marlon Wayans and Lee Ehrenberg talking about having sex with large women. <laughs> Marlon Wayans makes a move on a hot elf when the Dark Lord Profian's second-in-command Dragamo Dragmar Dagadar sneaks in and Lee Ehrenberg, who is now fully on the team, grabs the scroll and initiates a bar fight. Then our main characters just come back and we get absolutely telled, don't show. The first act breakdown and that Ridley, our main character, has both fallen in love with Marina and committed to the adventure. They then go to a town and do a racism to a purple monster with a Yondu ass mohawk and a third eye that they're just like in a world of Middle Earth ass creatures, they're just like that monster is a thief. That monster is a wizard thief. Follow him. I, as a goblin, I found it very offensive. <laughs> While Lee Ehrenberg does women be shopping jokes, Ridley and Snails follow Purple Guy up into a room that they find very cool. And they seem happy, as I'm glad for them. But they see someone who kidnaps someone. I didn't catch it. Anyway... I, I will use uh, uh, Nimble Escape <laughs> with my 8 minus 1 dexterity um, and it worked. <laughs> this movie is way too dense. Like, Insane. It's so no dense. Reason. There's no, no reason. reason. This movie is buttermilk. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like... <laughs> It's like, 
Like eating five baked potatoes. I don't quite know what <laughs> nourishment it's going to get you, but boy, you're not going to be hungry for a while. You can boil them, mash them, <laughs> stick them in a stew. It's like eating five baked potatoes because at least if food pyramids I was being taught about when this movie came out are to be believed, <laughs> like it is recommended for you. Like, <laughs> The year 2000 was recommending both this movie and eating five baked potatoes to you. And milk. So, so much, much milk. milk. And so much And milk. at that point, they were also saying, Jeremy Irons is a good actor. <laughs> well, he's Whoa. good at what he does. I mean, he's a great he's actor. Incredible. Oh, guys. Listen, I love a lot of bad stuff. Is all but wait, do you do you feel that about Jeremy Irons like in general? Like no, I'm saying in this movie, movie, he proves that he's not a good actor. <laughs> say this movie proves he is a good actor yeah no, exactly. no, no, no 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 this movie proves that he knows what he's doing <laughs> I, I don't understand the differentiation uh a good actor would be able to transform whatever nonsense into something that is consistent with the thing that's happening if anything jeremy irons took this movie away from everybody else and well, said yeah. I, the movie's mine about? Now, which i appreciate because he was right but as an actor isn't good is is that's that's a nicholas cage yeah, right yeah he's you, yes. where, okay. correct where where it's like you're like you're like you're like you rule i'm so happy that you are eating absolutely every piece of scenery in front of you. But that's the thing. I, I, so that means I, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same cage dilemma because I, I agree with you that cage pulls focus, right? Because of that very specific instrument. Jeremy Irons is pulling focus because he's putting in the work that other people are seemingly refusing to do. <laughs> <laughs> like if everyone else had done that, it wouldn't be as focus pulling. Right. I mean, with the exception of you don't like that, do you? Yes. <laughs> I can use all of your rage. <laughs> that is, that is look at me. Look at me. <laughs> yes. I told you it could be done. You have the power of the immortal. You can control dragons. With the dragon army at my command, I can crush the Empress and control what is rightfully mine. You don't like that, do you? Good. I can use every ounce of your rage. By the way, that first scene, oh my God. I loved so much because... Like, uh, yeah, you don't like it, do you? Like, after we just looked at the smoothest CGI dragon. Uh, <laughs> you hate this, don't you? Oh, my and, God. But at the same time, it implies that, like, he's explaining his evil plan, and the dragon is like, I don't like this. Yeah. The dragon has different politics to Jeremy. Yeah. The, o- the opening really does encapsulate every problem I have with the movie because the dragon obeys none of the rules of what makes Dungeons and Dragons great because in Dungeons and Dragons the dragons are formidable foes they are intelligent they are ancient they're spellcasters they're smart they're clever they're they have now they're cows yeah no now they're just they're just cows yeah yeah and it gets killed by a portcullis like Every nerve in my DM brain fired on all cylinders and then fluttered out of existence at that <laughs> moment. Yeah, this movie really 
gives almost no dungeons. <laughs> no, none. If I'm remembering correctly, there's I don't caves. know. But, there, but they do call they do call it out yeah. when they go. They go. Remember, we're going into the dungeon, uh, <laughs> and it has lots of dragons. But the the quantity was not better than quality. It, if anything, it takes away from the effectiveness of dragons. Yeah. <laughs> so, like the dragons were the not of, such a big. The coolness deal. of dragons is sapped from the movie by nature of how many dragons you have. They and also like also what the, establish they so much lore that breaks established lore in this movie because like they throw out the word mages and everyone who's in the upper class is a mage but that doesn't necessarily mean they can do magic like they can't do magic unless they're using like a wild magic pouch or they're an elf Uh, otherwise we're not really seeing magic be done so much and then you have you know where do these dragons live when they're not at the beck and call of an empress randomly in a city (laughs) I mean this is just Great Britain I guess where we have a monarchy but that really has no power besides their like trinkets that they still hold on to. And then there's a grand council that controls everything actually. And like England, they have like 50 scepters. Yeah. <laughs> also a movie should not have this many MacGuffins. No. A movie should have one MacGuffin at maximum MacGuffin. I mean, the amount of scepters we are introduced so to scepters. so quickly. So just talking about scepters for like the first 15 minutes. <laughs> Scepters people have, scepters people want, <laughs> scepters people are making. Yeah, this movie sucks, is really the thing. <laughs> yeah, what to take away from it. What are you doing? Oh, so we're the, uh, uh, the cleaning crew. Uh, right. This is dirty. <laughs> Clean up crew's more like it. You're thieves trying to rob us. <laughs> I'd have to put a feeble mind spell on myself to want to take you home. <laughs> that was funny. You're going to the city dungeon. That wasn't. Oh, what a relief. I'll be thanking you when they cut my head off. You should. It'd be an improvement. If you don't tell me which straw it is, I'll have to kill you painfully. Never! Yeah, this movie sure does forget a lot of D&D's real core, which is, for a game that is extremely specific about its magic uses, what that what that means, what that looks like, who can do it, how consistently, yeah. what you need to do it. This, this movie just goes, uh, okay, uh, ropey thing, uh, portal to anywhere <laughs> I want to go. Yes. Uh, which yes. which is uh, the idea that 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 fucking Baldy is tracking them at all. The fact that he could just teleport wherever he wants is insane. Yeah. Why would you do any? Why would you use any other thing? Why would you even bother with horses? Why? But yeah. it's the kind of why bother with anything, and that's that's where the whole thing like unravels, right? A fantasy movie needs to have, or really any movie needs to have a set of internal rules that it abides by to make even a lick of sense. And this movie just throws it all up in the air. That is the funny thing about this movie losing all of its D and D ness because the only thing 
D&D really is, is a set of rules. That's, yes! That's all it is! It's a bit Yeah. And, it's oh a movie God. that yeah. went, well, to quote another Lee Ehrenberg vehicles, they're more like guidelines. <laughs> yeah, the, Id- the idea that a movie- Hello, that, like, Hobbit. <laughs> yes. I just don't, yeah. It's just, it is an insane decision to be like, one of the hardest things in creating a fantasy movie is figuring out the rules. Yes. World, the Here building is a movie 101. that is specifically and obviously about a thing that has all of these rules. It's already there. All you have to do is write around it. And they went, fuck it! <laughs> d has rules! <laughs> yes, there's there's a lot of disappointing CGI in this movie, and they love they love putting it in our face. <laughs> they love filling the frame so with some really, savers. really, yeah. But there is a like structural little guy <laughs> that I'm in love with. The, the little imp that the- that services uh, Profion is that who you're referring to? I will say he's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. It's so funny because it's the it's the it's glue. <laughs> it's tape on the fucking Steenbeck cut. Yeah. It's the fucking like it's keeping yeah. the movie together. <laughs> it's inserted into shots to literally stitch them together. Yeah, it's clippy. It's, uh, it, it's... I see you're trying to make a movie. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, that character's name is Dexter and may Foss. have been a. <laughs> At one point in the development of the film, an animatronic dragon, which, oh wow, like a little pocket dragon. Oh no! 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 It wasn't. No way! No way! I don't believe no that this way. character was in the movie until they cut it together and they went, "Wait, how does they? How do they know that this is happening?" And they just added a, a thing. No, that, absolutely. That, yeah, that disappears right. at the end of a scene. Yeah. is at the beginning of a scene to disappear again. We go, oh, the little guy told him or whatever. And that's it. And it's just for every time they have a like a continuity error, it's just yep. like a little guy like taking a shirt off of somebody and like <laughs> moving a cup, taking a taking a Starbucks, a Starbucks cup, cup out, out of the out of Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> and we cut to a reaction shot of the second command guy, the fucking Ganondorf, like the, 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 guy, the, the guy with the crazy ass, way modded to hell armor and blue lips. Yeah. And then I guess Dexter, the imp character, <laughs> is on his shoulder and once again, basically does the same animation. Basically, it just was a copy paste, goes hee hee hee, and then disappears <laughs> in the same little ball of light. Great gazoos. Oh, I, I literally was Googling the great gazoo. <laughs> To me, that is a beautiful use of CGI. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is a great use of CGI. That is what but this movie is also... Like, <laughs> most of the scenes are characters explaining, like, all right, there's about to be a bad thing. We're about to, like, forget about a character, or a character's about to, like, pop back into the movie, and we just weren't with them for 45 minutes. So we have so much ADR that's like, I guess we'll see snails later, <laughs> or, like, whatever. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> no, we, well, but isn't that most representative of a D&D campaign though <laughs> where like you're trying to keep a regular schedule and you have that one friend who can maybe come to one out of four of the sessions and suddenly you have to like uh they they stayed behind in the tavern today while you went out into the wilds to search for this one thing Jamie I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about <laughs> for legal reasons I uh, cannot comment <laughs> 
or like uh, even the introduction of Lee Ehrenberg, which is just like, oh my oh, god, we've that's been the doing most atrocious. This, we've been doing this campaign for like a year and a half, and someone started dating someone who really wanted to be get in on the campaign, and they're like, okay, uh, he's a dwarf, and he's been hanging out here, and he's like, well, I guess I have no choice but to join you. You have every choice. <laughs> he doesn't oh even my. have a conversation. He's just like, I'm here now. I'm part of your <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the counterpoint with that is that Lee Ehrenberg is not the new boyfriend who wants to join. It is a campaign that has been centered around f- three or four people who have never once played D&D <laughs> in their life, right. and the DM is going, Greg, we need you to come in and just wrangle these fucking idiots. <laughs> Somebody needs to... <laughs> know how to play this game we need you to like be th- just like just come in as a dwarf and like just keep an eye on them they, they, uh, they, they know not what they do <laughs> they've been throwing rocks at beholders yeah and also don't make any big choices either like let them play the game mostly they're you driving sort- the story yeah you just sort of be there like, if it really, we just need a way out. How couched in reality yeah. is this campaign? Like, can I make a, a, like, kind of referential humor here and there? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can make a women be shopping joke here and there for sure. <laughs> so, if we find the rod, the emperor keeps us with gold. Why don't you try and rise above being a dwarf? This isn't about gold. It's about saving our empire. Empire? Who cares about the empire? You mages are the only ones who benefit from it. Okay. Oh, really? That's an interesting sentiment coming from a guy who steals things for a living. You know, those red marks there look like the locks my father used to put on plans in his carriages. Please. This is an ancient scroll, not a blueprint for a buggy. Look, you don't seem to know what you're doing, so you might as well let me... Have a look. Get that back! Let's see. He used to put his fingers like this, and then he'd say something like, Eleanor, Sala, what was that word? Bidet. Bidet? Badara. Oh, Badara. Eleanor, Sala, Badara. <laughs> Can't blame me for trying, at least I. <sighs> This movie is only constantly apologizing for itself. Yeah. Maybe that's what ended up being a little charming to me as well. <laughs> but like Lee Ehrenberg, yeah, breaks the fourth wall and looks at us. He's like, I guess you're right, Jamie. He goes, what choice do I have but to join? <laughs> and, and then he goes, and who will be paying me? And they point at Marina and she goes, uh, we'll talk about it after the mission. And... The camera pushes into his face. Lee Ehrenberg does a classic Lee Ehrenberg <laughs> cross-eyed look. And then, <laughs> and then goes, well, that's a bad way of doing business, which may have well have been describing that plot, yeah. the way that the plot was all coming forward, right? Just, just being like, hey, you have to be another main character now because there's something really satisfying about four. Yeah, that, that, all the best groups have four to five. For a movie that is all comic relief 
having a zanier comic relief doesn't make me happy. That is not a that's not a welcome addition. The wild scene in in the first act where they get sucked into a map and they just explain what happened in what should have been a scene that should have been on on camera. I'm very interested if that's on the DVD because there's a lot of deleted scenes on the DVD. And they're I, like, we we I found an why. old wraith and we answered his riddles three and he explained to us that actually these dragons. <laughs> may, may I see it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's so great because it begins with our main character just being like, I remember my dad told me how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> do magic better than you, person whose only job in the entire movie is to do, do magic. magic. And is the representative of like, I suppose this is also just whatever. Orion asks, like, it's the future, and there's the haves and have-nots movie. Like, it's like, why is that? Is that an aspect of D&D? Is there, like, no. class struggle really. in no. D&D? Yeah. No. no. Like, not unless you put it in the game, which yeah. you can. That's kind of the whole thing. Especially when it's just Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah I yeah. know. Right, right. Oh, the fact that this movie just, like, spits in the face of Phantom Menace and are like, all right, fan base, you thought you were disappointed before? <laughs> Get a load of us. <laughs> hey, Palpatine, hold my beer. Right. Put another, like, inspired young actress from, like, <laughs> award-winning films into just the stupidest hair yeah. and headdresses. <laughs> give, give her no direction and just enough rope to hang herself. And yeah. have them talk so monotone. <laughs> and have them, the treaty, Mr. Viceroy, Jeremy Irons, I will not let you have my rod. Like, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's just so weird. It's such a funny movie to rip off. I, I mean, it makes sense. Again, you're making a fantasy movie. You're quoting in the director's own words, trying to make the Star Wars of Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Just rip off the Star Wars that came out the year before. <laughs> just to, just yeah. do that Star. You know, Wars. the best one. <laughs> <laughs> he like jumps into the map. <laughs> he like he, Jumanji's into he, the map. Uh, he blues clues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she goes after him. We get a bunch of hijinks with our, uh, you know, we've gathered all our comedy relief now, so we get to just hang Sna- with Yeah, them. Snails is is flirting with an with an elf. Um, I really wish that I could switch channels to that other scene during that part of the movie. To, to be honest, the fact that this movie has so much goddamn plot, was actually loved the fact that the movie just let just us have over. a break for, <laughs> for a few minutes, and then they just came back and go, Here's what you missed. And I went, awesome. Yeah, right. I know. It was it was like a moment when the word scepter wasn't being yelled at us. <laughs> I was so, so very appreciative. But but it's just so funny that it's it's not just them coming back and being like, all right, we did our side quest. Well, I mean, you did the side quest. We did the main quest while you were doing the side quest. <laughs> and turns out we have to go here and get this. And then Marlon Wayans is rightfully like, why are we doing yeah. that? That sounds crazy. He's basically like, what, you and her, what, huh? And it's like, wait, we miss not only main plot being exposed, but like the characters connect. Yeah. Like you're yeah. just not going to show that, which is, you're right, awesome. <laughs> you know, wouldn't want to see it if you did film it, but it's weird you didn't. It's weird you didn't. 
Okay, adventurers, when we last left the party, they were being escorted to the leader of the Thieves' Guild, Xylus. Xylus is a bald and fabulous man played by Richard O'Brien, a.k.a. Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show, a.k.a. also the writer of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So for the record, he has advantage on charisma checks against sexually active high school theater nerds. <laughs> He explains to the party that the ruby they seek is at the center of the Antius Thieves Maze, which has never been bested in 15 years, but our leader Ridley accepts the challenge. He enters the first room of the maze and repeatedly passes his dexterity checks, despite the challenges ranging from floor blades popping out to swinging axes to flamethrowers and shrinking rooms. This leads me to believe that the challenge rating of the maze was actually set quite low so that the DM could get Ridley to the end of the maze. Another DM railroading his campaign towards a pre-written conclusion. Do they have any shame? <laughs> In the final room, Ridley approaches the vault and everything starts happening at once. The ceiling spikes start coming down, toothy grinding features and fire blocks Ridley from picking the lot on the vault. But the solution is apparently... Break the hourglass in the corner of the room, which is a riddle that probably played a little better on paper than in reality. <laughs> Ridley claims the ruby for himself, but Silas demands it, having waited the 15 years for someone to mess this not-too-difficult base. There's no such thing as honor amongst thieves, except for the movie in theaters now. <laughs> <laughs> There's a standoff immediately interrupted by Damodar and his brigade. Ridley manages to negotiate a breakaway by threatening to burn the map that Damodar is looking for, but this reprieve does not last long. Silas's men start fighting Damodar's men. Damodar takes the map and Marina, and suddenly Ridley cares for her well-being. <laughs> Snails argues that they can just sell the ruby and be on their merry way, but Norda, the barely armored elf Snails was flirting with earlier, stands in their way. In this fantasy, dwarves don't like elves either, and that's the next piece of character development we get from Elwood. <laughs> Norda is looking to arrest them and Marita to return the scroll to the Empress, but Ridley fills them in on Profion's big plan. The Empress tasks Norda in helping the party track down Damodar. Meanwhile, Damodar tries to extract information from Marina. It's still never really made clear, but one can make the assumption that Profion put a Mind Flayer-type beast in him, not a game mechanic. And that creature with its little tentacles is able to forcibly extract her intelligence. Marina takes a level of exhaustion and a level of you. Back with the party, it's revealed dwarves are terrified of horses, which is the third piece of character development we get for Elwood. The next day, they come upon Damodar's lair, guarded by many beholders, but as previously established, they are barely an inconvenience despite all game mechanics, and Ridley and Snails are able to sneak into the tower. Xana near, Xana defar, Xana wherever you are. <laughs> Ridley finds Marina. Norda says they were not meant to join Snails and Ridley on this task, which is a very convenient way to reduce actors needed for a day of shooting. <laughs> 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 Snails robs Damodar's bedroom, 
pocketing a pouch of wild magic and reclaiming the map. But despite being a rogue, he doesn't check for traps and is sucked <laughs> into a quickstand trap in the floor. Ridley rescues Marina. Damodar beats the crap out of snails. And overall, some people are having better days than others. In a moment of heroism brought up by a dead end, Snails becomes brave and gives his life to save the ruby, the map, and his friends. Ridley attacks Damodar in revenge and rage, but is almost instantly stabbed through the shoulder by Damodar. Marina uses the wild magic pouch to lightning bolt Damodar and open a portal to teleport Ridley out of there, leaving Snails to rot on the castle grounds indefinitely. <laughs> Back with bureaucracy, the Empress defies the council and says she will not turn over her dragon scepter. She points out that Profion is tricking them to leave the city defenseless, and it's hard to know where Profion begins and Jeremy Irons ends with the eye roll he gives. The Empress wants equal rights for all of Izmir, but the council says maybe the monarchy has had enough. This means war, whatever that means. (laughs) This means lore. (laughs) I love how many times in this movie they had to explain we don't have the whole cast. (laughs) (laughs) When Marina and Ridley are led to see Riff Raff, they're basically like, crazy that Snails got away, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Which only highlighted for me also, like, you're not even going to mention Lee Ehrenberg? Where where is everybody? (laughs) And then later on, he's like, I'll get the dwarf, you get Marina. (laughs) Where is, where are people? And like, it was most egregious when like, Lee Ehrenberg was turning to the the elf and was like, shouldn't we go in there with them? Isn't your whole task to like, get this map back and arrest them? And she's like, no, we were not destined to go with them into this (laughs) quest what i will say the maze is my favorite part of the movie by far maze is great i mean it's a it is a lost minds of fandelvier levels of like you know beginner your first time playing DD. here's a fun dungeon crawl for you it's the closest the movie ever gets to dungeons yes yeah you must be xylus ridley freeborn practitioner of the larcenist crafts member in good standing of the sumdog guild it's a pleasure to meet you, a fellow thief. For the pleasure's all mine. Yes, well, I think you must be very accomplished to have such a precious morsel traveling with you. <laughs> so, what might I do for you? The unity of our kingdom. We understand you have something called the Eye of the Dragon. We desperately need it. Yes, well, I'm always happy to help a fellow thief. Have you ever heard of the Antius Guild maze? Of course. Every thief has heard of it. Wonderful. Well, then you'll know that the Eye of the Dragon is the prize at the center of my guild maze, won't you? You finish the maze, you win the prize. It was very low in the mix, but if you listen closely, there's just somebody like trying to give them little tips in the background. It's just like, let's do the time warp again! (laughs) (laughs) It's a step to the left! 
<laughs> that, oh my god, that would be so good in the in, in when the, he when he's doing yeah when he's like dodging the shit <laughs> all the pendulums yeah. and then I skip to the rock. The, that supercut needs to exist. The idea of like yeah, you we'll just make cut, it. we'll make it. You just have to put your hands on your hips. <laughs> bring your knees. Bring your knees in tight. tight. It, it now must be said. What's his name? Who's what's Riff Raff the actor name? Richard O'Brien. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, oh, oh the he, best. For a minute, it's a movie. It's a movie that makes sense. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> for a minute, it's a movie. Oh my god, the mugging he does in the back half of the scene when Damodar shows oh. up, uh, like little pursed lips, like, mm, what are you? Uh, mm. Yeah. That's what a movie star looks like, guys. That's what a goddamn movie star looks like. And once again, Dan, Dan, Dana, 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 Dama, Dama, Listen, you just Damodar. need to say it twelve times in your in your <laughs> plot synopsis, and it will be stuck in your head forever. You'll never forget Damodar's name. I should have. I should have done less jokes and done my <laughs> damnedest at learning Damodar. I uh, your Damodarist. <laughs> he and his goons just show up again, right? Whatever needed. Uh, because he was told by pro. I mean, this movie really did cover all its bases for whatever reason. Whatever those bases were, they really like did some work in the after effect because they're tracking the tracker who's tracking them. So of course, <laughs> he's just he's just he knows where they're going. Not also not a class, not a class ever in D and D. Like tracker. the fact that they're like mage tracker. Thief. <laughs> it's like they went out of their way to not name classes. Yeah, like they had copyright issues with Wizards of Coast, despite this being a <laughs> branded feat, like feature film. Right. <laughs> well, they were also like, you know what D and D is known for? It's races. We've got them all: humans, dwarves, elves. That's it. That's all of them. <laughs> we've we've got blue guy with an yeah, eyeball. Yeah, don't forget purple head. man. Yeah, but what about guy. little guy? What about little Dexter? Whatever the fuck he is. The, the purple man in the in the last act was like straight out of. I mean, it makes sense because the tavern was straight out of Moss Eisley's cantina. But yes. like, but like, he was just a rejected Star Wars or Star breed. Trek. Yeah, He's, he is Nightbreed as shit. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing, Greg. You're 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 right. The only meaningful people ever are elf dwarf human right but that tavern implies like way more it's a galaxy's worth of creatures right right which like, is also not dungeons <laughs> which is also like, there's a lot of races that peep that are playable right orcs goblins you could be draconic tiefling night elves tiefling yeah Dryad. we got a uh, 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 half halflings no yeah. you sound like, you, you you sound like you're naming types of tea yeah, yeah. <laughs> earl gray chai and and then there's and then this movie also goes like okay what are like a few of the monsters that people know they go well, beholder and they go great we will put it in for one and a half seconds, and it will yeah. leave scene. It will, it, it will suck, and it will just absolutely suck. Ridley, look, beholders. Relax, Snails. We'll just sneak around. Let me put it this way, Casey. The beholder has ten eye stalks. Each of them can cast a spell that can just disintegrate you into nothingness. That's how difficult it is to fight. There were like. 10 of them in this scene and they all floated away. Oh, there was a rock. They threw a rock, Josh. <laughs> a rock. 
Well, it is the logic of somebody who's never played D&D before, right? Somebody goes, uh, well, I throw a rock. And goes that uh, way. And, you, and usually also when, the, when that player does that, they also tell you what happens. Yes. They go, oh, they go, I throw the rock and everybody looks and goes to it. And the DM goes, uh, no, no, no. I will tell you what the outcome is. Yeah. But this movie went, no, no, no. I think he has the right idea. The, everything yeah, goes towards it. That makes it. sense. You, you know what? That To me, it, it, it sounds like a dungeon master who's done a lot of work, written this really difficult beholder moment or whatever y'all call it that having started to play with this group knew was just not on the table (laughs) was like the night will be over i'm gonna have a total party kill they're all gonna die yeah the night will be over if we do this so yeah the rock works (laughs) (laughs) i really want them to get to this cool maze i built that took yeah exactly the maze is more the thief maze is oh and he oh wow they figured out the maze really quickly (laughs) wow damn fuck damn it Maybe I can bring the beholders back. (laughs) I'm curious. You're a mage. And yet you're disgracing your family by consorting with thieves. You're a disgrace to Izmir conspiring against the Empress. It is... Profian's desire to dethrone her, not mine. Then why do you help him? Look at me! Look at me! If I do not obtain the rod, I will die. Please, help me. I'm sorry, but I I cannot help you. (laughs) This movie is only one thing. (laughs) <laughs> and it is explaining why it didn't write a better movie. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it is only ever doing that. That is what the fucking tentacle monster scene. That is what the mind flayer scene is, right? Uh, that don't is. Don't you dare put that name uh, to that scene. That is. Well, Jamie did it. I, I did. <laughs> that, is that is this movie finding bold new levels of telling not showing right like finding like finding like exciting new ways to push forward the plot without having one and through bad cgi right it's 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 the thesis of this movie should be bad storytelling through bad cgi (laughs) it's jeremy irons being i'm disappointed you let them get away my henchmen i'm going to put a creature in you that will suck the information out of a main character's head. That will just get... <laughs> it will, bo- it will it move just, the plot forward. It will suck plot. And that is just writing... I didn't think of a way for this to happen, but par excellence, right? But like making it, it, making it structural. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is a movie of excuses and duct tape. <laughs> I, yeah, I gotta push. I gotta. I I feel like I must highlight two things, two very different performances in this movie. Right, a lot of people are bad, right? Yeah, but yeah. there's there's just very different sorts of bad, and our 
I guess female lead i mean it's so hard I to mean, say even right she's like it's bad like in some situations because she doesn't acknowledge her own privilege and has been living as a complete <laughs> you know a complicit cog in this pretty unbalanced machine yeah i, I feel like it's the, watching this movie is is i'm sure the effect of listening to me talk about politics right? like, it's like what are you t- what are you saying? Do you have a point? Like have you do you think about this at all? It's like a little. <laughs> you know, there's the sort of bad that is just boring, right? Like right. Thor Birch is a- essentially a like character from Mass Effect in this movie, right? <laughs> it, like just sort of like moving ahead enough to create a simulacra. Marina is whoever that actor is, their talent aside. They are like doing the movie, right? Yeah. They are like they are what shock and awe a prop of a female character, <laughs> but like inconsistent in a way that was trying to like contort herself around what the movie needed. Whereas Marlon Wayne's is sort of the opposite, where he's like inconsistent in a way that he because he's just essentially skipping through set and being like doopy doop whatever i want pick up this prop this looks fake honk (laughs) 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 which does when they split up and snails is thieving the quarters the chambers oh the the scroll is 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 laid out upon the table he first goes to the bed and kind of does like a, a look at the bed and then notices the, the obvious scroll on the table and steps into the quicksand rug, which is on the opposite side of the table that you'd imagine a, a, a good thief would probably go in, notice, yes. right. notice it on the table immediately and go straight to it. Right, but I sort of don't care because that carpet quicksand moment was surprisingly great. No, it was like, awesome. It was a good effect. Like an exciting filmmaking moment, I'd imagine. Like that that was such a very specific bit of art that had to be made. It was crafted. It was a it was the moment where it was it wasn't one of the CG. only moments what it was. Yep. No, right, it wasn't yep. CG. Yeah, it, it was, was one of the only moments in the movie where it's like, "Oh, you made something." And then you shot it with a camera. Yeah. <laughs> right, it was conceived of before they started rolling. <laughs> yes. You didn't you didn't great kazoo this into existence. Yeah, you yeah. didn't you didn't fix this in post. Not your usual punctual self. Where's my dragon's eye? I have it. Really? Show it to me. Let him go first, and it's yours. Smell out! No! You know, rest in peace, snails. I feel like that. I've, you want you want to linger on snails a little bit. Well, more? he died. They killed the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Which is also, I imagine, satisfying for the snails haters out there. <laughs> That's the Jar Jar Binks difference, right? Like Jar Jar Binks survives. So instead of instead of snails going on to become a senator, he dies in the middle. Yeah. Of the movie. I mean, you know, one hesitates to 
give it up to J.K. Rowling, but killed Dobby. Annoying character. Killed Dobby. <laughs> That's good because it is both emotionally thrilling for like myself the snails lovers out there the people who the people for whom snails was the only part of the movie worth giving any sort of shit about has the moment of non-rage induced bravery in the movie (laughs) like has the one moment of like i'm gonna stand up to this character i know will kill me and sacrifices himself, albeit stupidly, and for, like, <laughs> to toss a map eight feet. Uh, yeah, but... I, I was unclear about uh, what what why, he did, what that was, what was happening. He gave Ridley this like, "We're gonna do it. We're gonna do the. We're gonna do the old shubaru, you know." And then, the, and then he just, yeah, he just throws the map that. The guy knew he had on him. Right. In yeah. This is the moment the DM stopped entertaining it, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is the moment the DM's like, no, all right, enough. This is what happens. He stabs you to death. Uh... You, made, you make a sudden move with a guy with a fucking future kill <laughs> at your back, and he stabs you. And then thro- defenestrates you. you. Yeah throws you into a courtyard where your friends will never find all i could think about by the way is the elf and the dwarf outside in a bush like watching marlon wayne's body fall out of the castle like oh that's not good maybe we should have gone in here's another thing here's another thing which we'll get to in the immediately after this act so they go through a portal somehow the dwarf and the elf find them through this portal brings them we'll see to a magical healing land they couldn't Mm -hmm. have i don't know portal in to grab Snails' body and maybe bring him back to life. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, that no, magic doesn't sorry. exist in this movie until the very uh, end. Vivify, yeah, until... until <laughs> yeah, level three is too much. <laughs> you know what also doesn't exist in this movie? Armor for Norda the Tracker. I, I cannot oh, stress enough what this it's woman nothing. is it's wearing. Nothing. It's like made more unfortunate by the fact that she is wearing khaki pants the same color as her skin tone. So when you look really? when you look a little oh too quickly... Oh my God, it looks yeah, like... Yeah, you're talking about the like Staples associate pants. That she's yes, got on. yes, yes. And so it makes it like when you look at it too fast, you're like, oh my god, this woman's running running around pantsless. Pantsless like is- with her with her tatas in very, very specific very. contour. Like like not since fucking Batman and Robin. No. Uh, <laughs> Had a right. chest plate been so lewd. A chest plate that like brings to mind a, a, a blacksmith like perfectly <laughs> like knocking in nipples, a belly button, and pelvic muscles. <laughs> Why? Why do we need to contour that? I would love to what cut crazy. to the, dwar- the old wizened dwarf who's sitting there laboring away. <laughs> what did I do with my life? What's ups- upsetting is that was just in the shop and she put it on and it fit perfectly. She's like, why does this fit perfectly? I was like, oh, I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> what, what a weird coincidence. Five gold. Right. And yet is somehow not the female character done the most dirty. No. Because <laughs> never has there been a greater fall from grace as Marina in this movie. <laughs> this movie. This movie does to Marina what Jeremy Irons is attempting to do to Thora Birch in character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's a character who lets her hair down and takes off her glasses, and it has the opposite movie yeah. effect. She's like cursed by it. Yeah. It's, I mean, maybe that's why I was, 
I was sort of struck by how much her performance was just a like middle distant furrowed brow. Like they just kept cutting to her looking hella confused. But maybe it was because she lost her glasses, right? Like she was sort of half focused all the time on the. Uh, what was going on? She's also just in the fetal position. She's just yeah. like, she looks up when Ridley, our, you know, uh, roguish dude walks in and is like, hey, Buttercup. And she looks up and her, it's like, she might as well, like mascara was dripping. Yeah, yeah. It's like, What's going on here? She was just the most powerful creature she in was, the She was in one the bad movie. thing away from like sacrificing everything to save Ridley's life. Too. Like, oh, like, God, like I right. did think when she picked up the magic pouch, I thought it was the pouch that held the ruby and that she was about to be like, here, take it. Just don't hurt Ridley. Uh, right, oh, exactly. God. It's like she had run out of her prescription to Profion, like like uh, her <laughs> antidepressant. Right? She did an SSRI, like fucking uh, Rio. Ask your doctor if Profion's right for you. Ask your cleric. <laughs> it is crazy to, to make a movie that is about, again, Jeremy Irons and the entire council is old, bearded, white men. Thora Birch yep. is a young woman. The movie is about white men like taking power away from its rightful heir a woman then it goes to set up a strong female character and then just absolutely (laughs) takes away all of her power like it's like the producers were like well actually she wasn't that powerful to begin with yeah. it's just like I, we're not in the business of mary sues here at dungeons and dragons okay just chosen ones and the chosen ones are men there's a great line where uh the council explains young people speak from the heart not the mind with our council she realized things are the way they are and they cannot change which oh is just, yeah which is just like every parent's <laughs> optimism after their kid comes back from college like a liberal yeah. arts school <laughs> surely new ideas will not have entered oh, no. their head uh, you're gonna want to not be taxed when you're an adult <laughs> don't worry if you're not a liberal in your 20s you have no heart but if you're not a conservative in your 40s, you have no brain. Okay, man. <laughs> like, like it, it, cool. It, yeah, just like this movie is not only it's that it's half of the characters are that right are just that like we you know we need to take the power away from this lady because she likes people. We'll we'll figure that out, right? We'll get that. We'll she will get that out of her, right? We just got to take away her. But that this is the problem with the, this is it's the extension of liberal right. It's like take away her nuclear weapon, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the city leveling power she's willing to wield for quote unquote the right reasons. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is a great this is a great uh, segue because this is around the point in the movie when I personally realize what the actual plan from Father Time to marina (laughs) is yes let's get another scepter so you can give your scepter (laughs) to him no they said that, you, that was the compromise so you can make the council happy but you can give the scepter but you'll still have that's a amazing that's the plan? yes the plan is mutually assured destruction <laughs> that's true yes and no one's safe <laughs> my lords my ladies and my folks 
<laughs> Your Act 3 synopsis hath arrived thanks to the New York accented council member. I don't know if you guys heard this guy. There was like one guy. Wait, who really? Was like, yeah, yeah. Who was like, who was like, yeah, she should get that. Like, <laughs> all right. Really get secure light wounds from elderly Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Oh, Marina has never seen such magic as a level one conjuration because he didn't need to, you know, he didn't need no scroll or book. And he tells her, hey, girl, elves are just better. <laughs> and also, that magic is everywhere. And elves are a part of it. And so are dragons. And many Chlorians give you the force. And Norman Bates is his mother. And Evelyn Mulraney's sister is also her daughter. <laughs> My dungeon, my dragon, my dungeon, my dragon. <laughs> After Ridley is healed, he gets into a big fight with Marina because he had a libertarian awakening. And he really thinks that the bourgeoisie have it out for the proletariat. But Marina knows that Dora Birch is a real benevolent leader and all that. Oh yeah, they have an obligatory kiss. Bada bing, bada boom. As they leave green screen hell... Ridley, uh, for no reason, gets a cool plus one short sword. They all go to the titular dungeon, but uh, only Ridley can get through the magical invisible door, and so he's got a free solo this one. After wandering through some caves, he says the magic words, uh, uh, now where do I go? And just like that, he falls down the adventure movie standard slide into the door he needs to put the big-ass jewel in. He arrives in the treasure room at the end of the Last Crusade, and he finds the scepter in the hands of a very talkative skeleton who tells him some shit about too much power, and it's made by a man, but it, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter because it's just a MacGuffin anyway. Ridley gets the flea market knockoff scepter and brings it out of the cave to show off to his friends. His friends have, in the meanwhile, been captured for the D20th time <laughs> by Baldoy and his name was Flunkies. They do the requisite, I'll give you the scepter if you let my friends go bit, and Baldy gets a nat 20 on his deception because Ridley believes him and gives him the scepter uh, without seemingly any backup plan at all. Baldy says, uh, I lied, kill him, and that's when everybody springs into action. Directly after, it would have been very useful for them to have done so. Another portal is opened up, and Baldy goes in, and Ridley also uh, goes in and makes him during a big-ass dragon war between Jeremy Irons and Dora Birch. Dora's got gold dragons who've eaten some hot peppers and are blowing fire all around the place. Jeremy Irons gets his own scepter and his own dragons, and he says shit like, Let the blood rain down from the sky! With a serious face, and so he deserves a golden globe, I think. He also says, Not so talented, eh, Mr. Ridley? Which is a very weird play on words for a fantasy movie. Ridley kills Baldy, which is a bummer, and then he fights with Jeremy Irons, and his bud showed up, and they immediately lose. <laughs> Ridley smashes the scepter, Thora burns six or dragon on him, 
Goblin hit him up in a scene not unlike Samuel L. Jackson in A Blue Sea, a better movie. We crossfade to a graveyard while Laura Birch is giving a rah-rah-rah high school spirit speech, complete with roaring applause, while Ridley and company are mourning the death of snails. He puts the dragon's eye on the makeshift mound, which unleashes some sort of surprise magic, and it's implied, but never shown, that Snails is now alive somewhere, and they all get transported to wherever that is. Then we cut to the credit of a director who was, still, after seeing the final cut of this movie, very proud to put their name on this. This is a great movie. It just made me realize that this is actually a really good movie. That is such an insane climax. The fact that we cut, we we just straight cold cut into a hundred dragons. So many scenes were lost. Like we went from zero to 60 and like suddenly Thora Birch is riding a dragon and like they're coming out like the worst particle <laughs> renders you've ever seen out of like a basic 3D. <laughs> They're casting shields it's up yeah. against their things. So things crazy. Are People are just stepping in it's and out of the movie at like whenever they want to, it seems. Like just And by portal. By portal they are stepping in by and out of the portal. film. Portals that have been used very little here. Uh, I wouldn't say very point. little. I would say actually at every no. major plot point of the movie. Actually, right. Yeah. I, I'd probably actually go way but too much. In- I would say I would say entirely too many no, times. Yeah. I'm sorry about snake. I'm sure you are. Really, he died for a good cause. A good cause? What cause is that? Hmm? The Empress against Profian? Politics. I'm through with all that. I'm not going to die over some power struggle between a couple greedy mages. No. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong, mage! You never had to live on the other side. You know what? Snails was right. There is nothing we can do to change it. And if I had listened to him, he would still be alive. Just because some mages are evil does not mean they all are. I'm not. I'm not. I love that scene, jumping back a second, the scene on the patio in front of really bad CG Rivendell, Rivendell, um, where like, yeah, Ridley is doing his whole like, maybe things aren't equal and things aren't fair. And Marina literally does a not all mages. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The guy who's like, he's just lost his best friend, right? He's and, and been stabbed in the heart and brought back from the dead is having a moment to himself (laughs) rightfully angry that he's lost his whole life literally and then she's like you don't understand nevertheless she persists (laughs) (laughs) not all mages are bad because i'm not bad okay (laughs) right you still like me right and then they kiss because that's absolutely where that scene was going. Yep. <laughs> that was that was the emotion that was being built. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
time that those dragons show up, I'm so bored. And I could not care less. And it just is meaningless, right? It's just a bunch of and goddamn... It's, it's like uh, an N64 cutscene. It's nothing. Yeah, it's it... birdemic, man. Yes. It's, it's just looping dragons going on in the background. Yeah. And, like, they don't have characters. They don't have... They're, they're literally just, like, livestock being sent. <laughs> right, so except, crazy. like snails, they die gruesome. Yeah. <laughs> they die they bleed. They bleed, baby. When a dragon dies, we we have to assume because they're being controlled. But on both sides, being controlled by a goddamn like Megazord horn. Uh, If the sequel to this movie isn't the dragons taking their free will back and attacking the city and all the humans that have tried to control them, like, what are we even doing? There should be another dragon in the sequel that just eats Laura Birch. Thora Birch. How did <laughs> remind me? How did Ridley break the curse of like everyone who wields this staff becomes evil? Was it just the power of love? I think it was the power of love. Okay, power of friendship. He, he, no, he just he broke. Oh, he, he just straight broke up broke it. it. He just right, smashed. Okay. He just smashed this. He just went nah. Okay, that you're right. That's a good answer to the riddle. Actually, he also was from the other side of the tracks. Remember, he was not part of the elite. He wasn't. He was uh, set apart from this. Yeah royal cast the struggle of power and he had seen yeah. that painting of all the red dragons they sure like milked raising. that painting oh boy they, they loved they someone painted it and you know okay they did okay and, but they worked on it I don't know they, so we're gonna show the, a lot of it those dragons had some abs and it was dis- disgusting yeah it's, it's don't a little be body shaming those those dragons josh just because they have abs hot abs hot dragon abs <laughs> yeah they work those aren't easy if it makes you if it makes you feel uncomfortable that's your problem you know i gotta look inside you're right yeah it's expect- when you're next that long crunches are harder <laughs> <laughs> they really should have just focused their efforts on making one good scepter instead of making seven bad scepters. Yes, totally. But Josh, m- more is more, and less is not more. And so that's true. Point. Don't believe the hype. Less is <laughs> actually what? not more. What? <laughs> You've been lied to your whole life. I've been maged. You're just, you're just waking up. <laughs> you're not asking the right questions. <laughs> right <Yeah>. questions. <laughs> I was a governor. I was a mage. Uh, where, Ventura, where did you come from? <laughs> I know the truth. I know what they're not telling you in magic school. Is that no one can control the dragons. They would turn the dragons on the people of this city. What they do, actually, you know what? That's literally what they do. Just like in real life, Jesse Ventura is right. (laughs) This this is a this is a horrifying world that Thora Birch, the leader of you know equality, like was willing to lay waste to the city to hold on to power. Deeply Hillary Clinton. (laughs) And, And this movie ends. With her giving like a rousing, like we've done it speech, like we have created the world we want to see, as we do like a 45 second crane shot over a cemetery. <laughs> I love that that yeah. entire thing happens. Of all, presumably, all the people yeah. who have <laughs> died. Battle. Dark. At long last, I do declare that you are now all equal. Let the celebration begin. you. Nothing's going to be the same without you.
magic schooling. <laughs> or at least snails fooling. Around with scepters. <laughs> there was a whole lot of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> a whole lot of dragons. <laughs> <laughs> Why too many dragons? <laughs> <laughs> Rip off report card. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons Rip Off Report Card is brought to you by Gygax and Relax, the dating app for adventurers. Left one too many taverns alone, <laughs> rolling a nat one on charisma checks. Try Gygax and Relax and swipe right to join the party. As an avid D&D player and Dungeon Master myself, you can imagine my disappointment at this film's seemingly blatant disregard for everything that makes Dungeons & Dragons a beloved institution of geekdom. I wondered, where did it all go wrong? Surely the filmmakers couldn't have been fans of the game. This must have been some kind of cash grab. But no! Turns out this was a passion project gone very awry. It all starts in 1990, when a 21-year-old contacted TSR Inc. under the guise of working on a school economics project. This was Courtney Solomon, the writer, director, producer of the 2000s Dungeons & Dragons film. Solomon himself was an avid player of the game. In 2000, he told IGN that he, quote, can't stand playing just a two-hour D&D session. It's just wrong. You gotta be prepared to sit down and play the way we used to play, all day and all night. It took Solomon 18 months to convince TSR to set up negotiations. The company was hesitant to license the game because of negative experiences with film studios in the past. Ryan Dancy, the vice president of TSR at the time, said the company finally agreed because Solomon made a better upfront royalties offer than others had, though Solomon denies this claim. Solomon wrote the initial draft of the screenplay to reflect the rules of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, the second edition of the game, which he was familiar with. Instead of setting the film in the game's popular Forgotten Realm setting, he opted to create a generic setting very loosely based on one of the lesser-known game settings, Mistara. In another interview from IGN in 2000, Solomon said, quote, It was meant to reflect the way players have always played the game and created their own campaigns. Third edition came out in, like, 1993, and the latest edition of the rules will have to wait for the sequel. The film sat in a hold-person spell for years as Solomon tried to raise funds and enlist a big-name director for the $100 million epic he dreamed of. Names like Francis Ford Coppola, James Cameron, Rennie Harlan, and Stan Winston were all attached at one point or another, but all of them dropped out. In the end, Solomon would direct the film himself. In 1997, the film finally gained some steam when The Matrix producer Joel Silver came on board with the vision to make it a television series instead of a film. Much to Solomon's surprise, though, his original contract with TSR did not include the television rights. And at the time, TSR was in the process of being sold to Wizards of the Coast, who were eager to regain control of their IP. Solomon's contract with TSR required him to start filming before a certain date or lose rights, so the plans changed again. With the clock ticking and only three and a half million dollars raised, Solomon bitterly started shooting a direct-to-video version of his once-great epic. The litigious mages over at Wizards of the Coast argued that this direct-to-video version did not constitute a, quote, real movie to satisfy the contract. Silver was impressed with what Solomon had shot so far, and together the two were able to raise $30 million, enough to scrap the direct-to-video idea which appeased Wizards of the Coast. In fact, at the time of its release, Dungeons & Dragons was the biggest budget independent film ever produced. (laughs) Despite the modest budget, Solomon was determined to make the film look like the $100 million epic he dreamed. 
To maximize the quality of the film's effects, Solomon made equity deals with the effects houses involved so that less money was paid up front. Oh. <laughs> Alan Crawford, an animator on the film, said four months of work was spent just on the movie's first minute. And the climactic dragon dogfight apparently shows a whopping 150 dragons at the same time. The live-action elements of the scene even involved shooting a 200-foot, 360-degree blue screen wrapped around a two-story set. Dunson Dragons opened on December 8th, 2000 to fifth place at the North American box office. <laughs> it went on to gross $33.8 million, falling short of the film's $45 million budget. In a 2011 interview with Chud.com, Solomon reflected on the film's troubled production. He said he only intended to produce the film, but was forced to direct by the investors. Quote, At the time, my investors had put a lot of money in. They said, You know this movie better than anybody. You're directing. I'm like, I don't want to direct this movie. And then part of the settlement was, I got stuck having to do the script that she originally approved many years earlier. And they did it on purpose because they wanted the whole thing to fail. Unquote. After researching this report card, I think maybe I've been a little too harsh on writer-director Courtney Solomon. He clearly has deep knowledge and love of D&D. Perhaps like so many other Dungeon Masters, myself included, his vision for an epic campaign simply crumbled under the weight of reality. It's hard enough to get five people around a table to play a single game of D&D. I'm sure doing battle with the Dragons of Hollywood producers is no small feat. So maybe in the end, this was, as we say in the world of D&D, a mixed success. <laughs> and that has been the Dungeons and Dragons ripoff report card. That was all of Marina's lines in the second half of the movie. <laughs> ripoff report card. Okay, class, that was Dungeons & Dragons. I didn't learn anything about the game, I'll be honest. I still feel no clearer about what the rules of Dungeons & Dragons are. You say it's nothing but rules. I've not internalized a single one of them. So here's hoping they aren't important on the final test. And I'll just say, Josh, I'm sorry. I, I hate to do this, but my final thought is in contradiction to the ripoff report card... <laughs> This movie are, are, is he allowed to do that? This, Guys, is that this movie has way too much lying to get it done energy to me. Like this guy, I do not think knows Dungeons and Dragons. He saw a cool opportunity to get some money out of the movie industry, and then they were like, "Hey, we need a movie," and he was like, "Oh, dang!" <laughs> and uh -oh. Had, had to write it as they go. Well, I for one am excited for Freeborn. The Ridley prequel that explains how he got his last name. <laughs> Just like you podcasters, always speaking into microphones on things you only marginally knowledgeable about. <laughs> we didn't even 
even talk about that. Yes, we didn't talk about thieves steal things. Thieves steal things. Merriam Webster's defines thieves as one who steals things. I. I feel like I have just have to do my best Gene Shallot impression at yeah. this point. <laughs> Go see Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves in theaters now. It's a critical hit. <laughs> Thanks you for joining another class here at Video High. If you want to know the next messy masterpiece they'll be covering, go to their social medias at once. That's at Video High Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and at VideoHigh.pod on Twitter. Owes thank yous to Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra and Gabriella Tessitore of the band Scout Harris for our theme song, Justin Ferraro of the band The Rizzos for the rest of our music, and Sierra for our logo and our teacher, Mr. Philip Marlowe. Burble commands you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or he shall unleash... Uh, uh, fury of the small upon you a thing I know about yeah maybe I've dunked on Hillary Clinton too many times for one white guy in a podcast to do anymore but like him saying what's the point of playing D&D for two hours I pay it for like a million hours man is very <laughs> like yeah I keep hot sauce in my bag too <laughs> I'm Pokemon going to the polls. <laughs> Simple Equations Podcast Network.